Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Welcome back. This is The Savvy Psychologist. I'm Dr. Ellen Hendrickson, and every week I'll help you meet life's challenges with evidence-based research, a sympathetic ear, and zero judgment. From ill-advised Hollywood marriages to good old oil and water, separation is an inevitable part of life. And so it is with separation anxiety. Virtually every toddler goes through a totally normal developmental stage where being away from a primary caregiver is met with tears and clinging that falls somewhere between baby koala and laundry with no dryer sheet. And it makes total sense. Of course, a child would get upset about being away from the person who takes care of them. But all the fuss usually subsides by about age two. Now, usually doesn't mean always. Lots of school-age kids and teens, various studies estimate about one in 20, have separation anxiety, which can lead to very real problems, like not wanting to go to school or having trouble making friends. But guess what? Separation anxiety is just as common, if not more common, in adults than it is in kids. One study estimates that a full 6.6% of adults will have separation anxiety at some point in their life, whether it spills over from childhood or starts fresh as an adult reaction to bereavement, panic attacks, or something else. What does this mean? It means if you suspect this might mean you, you're far from alone. Okay, so what are the signs of adult separation anxiety? Well, to illustrate, meet Megan, a client I worked with a few years ago. And clearly, Megan is not her real name because I'd like to keep my license. But Megan was a smart 30-something grant writer who'd been married for almost 10 years. And early in her marriage, she would travel and spend time alone without a thought. But after a few years, she found it harder and harder to be without her husband. And this is the hallmark, getting distressed and worried when you have to be away from your spouse, a parent, or whomever it is you're attached to. At first, she thought she was just overprotective or a worrywart, but separation anxiety is a very specific kind of distress. You might worry about your loved one dying or getting injured, being in an accident, or getting sick. Conversely, you might worry you'll need their help and not be able to get it. You'll have an emergency, get hurt, or need them in some vague but urgent way. Now, in addition to worries about disaster, there are also other telltale signs. For instance, going to sleep is particularly hard if your partner isn't there. And to add insult to injury, you often have insomnia or separation-themed nightmares. To top it off, you probably have physical symptoms before you have to be apart, 
like headaches or GI problems. Now, for Megan, nothing traumatic happened to start her worry that something bad might happen to her husband or to her. There was no near-death experience, no heart-stopping, I-thought-I'd-lost-you-forever moment. The closest she could come to pinpointing a starting line was an out-of-the-blue panic attack she had before boarding a plane for a business trip a few years before. She didn't think much of it at the time, but over the years, her anxiety got to the point where she couldn't travel for work or get away for a weekend with friends. Worse, when her husband had to travel, Megan would have GI problems for days, and then she would have to use her vacation time to go stay with her rightfully baffled parents. Her situation wasn't working for anyone, especially Megan. But for Megan, and for the millions of adults with separation anxiety, the worst part wasn't even the symptoms. It was the embarrassment. It's humiliating to disclose that you're a grown-up who can't be away from your partner or your parents. And for the 43% of adults whose fear is developed after age 18, it's really hard to reconcile your logical brain, which makes you feel ridiculous, and your fear, which is very real and very convincing. Okay, so now, what to do about separation anxiety? Well, luckily, there are lots of things to try. So start with these five tips. Tip number one is get really specific. Now, the overarching theme of separation anxiety is uncertainty. This is the constant what-ifing that never seems to end. What if something bad happens? What if I need help and no one's around? What if there's a problem and she needs me? I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Anxiety is vague. When your brain worries that, quote, something bad might happen, ask it to be more specific. What specifically are you worried about? Sometimes there's nothing, which can be a surprising relief. But other times, there is a more specific fear. And once you whittle it down to a concrete what if, you can move on to tip number two, which is answer the question. Your anxiety intends your what if questions to be rhetorical, but instead, try answering them. What if there's a hurricane, his plane can't take off, and he's stuck? Well, then he'd probably seek shelter in the airport, follow any emergency procedures, and have a few margaritas while he bonds with fellow stranded passengers. What if I get sick while my partner's away? Well, you'd call your doctor, or worst case scenario, an ambulance. Answering the question does one of two things. If your worries are about harm befalling your partner, it moves your imaginary worst case scenario onward to something safer and less anxiety provoking. If your worries are about harm befalling you, answering the question gives you a plan of action. This is important because anxiety tries its hardest to convince you you're not capable. By answering the question and coming up with a plan, you fight back by showing anxiety you can handle whatever it throws at you. Tip number three is shift from what could happen to what's happening right now. What ifs also commonly take the form of coulds. There could be a storm and his plane will crash. There could be a drunk driver on the road as she drives home. I could have a stroke and not be able to speak or get help. All these things are true. There could indeed be a disaster. But instead, shift your focus to what's happening right at this moment. I am currently safe. I am brushing my teeth and getting ready for bed in my apartment. I'm letting my mind spin with worry while absently petting my dog. Essentially, this 
is mindfulness. Reel your mind in from the imaginary future and settle it on the very real here and now. Pay attention to what you're actually doing, not to improbable catastrophe. Brush your teeth. Pet your dog. Focus on where you are, not where your mind wants to take you. Tip number four is stop asking your anxiety if you're okay. So interestingly, one study found that almost half of adults with panic disorder, that is, fear of having another panic attack, also have adult separation anxiety disorder. Let me say that again. In their sample, fully half of people with panic also had separation anxiety. That's a lot of people. And this made sense when I thought about it. Lots of people who are worried about panicking keep close to their nearest and dearest. It makes them feel safer. But what's going on here? Why might so many people with panic also have separation anxiety? Well, there's no definitive answer, but it's possible that both problems are driven by overinterpreting your own body signals. Here's what I mean. The hallmark of panic is misinterpreting body sensations as dangerous. Your heart may start to pound for no apparent reason, or you'll randomly feel a little lightheaded, but then your brain overinterprets these random but totally normal blips and bloops of your body and concludes you're in real danger, which in turn triggers fight or flight, which ironically amplifies your anxiety and kickstarts a panic attack. In a rather torturous study, researchers had adults with panic, adults with separation anxiety, and a control group breathe in a mixture of regular air and 35% carbon dioxide, which is fairly unpleasant and can make you feel like you can't breathe or are even suffocating. Now, a full 55% of the people diagnosed with panic had a panic attack as a result but so did almost as many of the people with separation anxiety, 52%. And in the unlucky few who had both disorders, 69% had an attack. By contrast, in the comparison group, only 18% had an attack. Now, the researchers concluded that an underlying hypersensitivity to potentially alarming body sensations, known to be a problem in panic, may also be true for separation. And I hope they also concluded that they had better pay their participants a wheelbarrow full of money for being willing to endure a panic attack. Anyway, if you are scared to be alone, this is one place where you don't want to take the advice of listen to your body. Remind yourself that your body may not be a credible source of information when you're scared. And finally, tip number five. Of course, practice. Practice being by yourself. And start out slowly. Practice being apart for a few hours, then overnight, and then a day. Send your partner to stay with a trusted friend or offer to house sit when a relative goes on vacation. When you're alone, plan things to do that will help you cope, but also be willing to be anxious. The first few times are always the hardest, but it gets easier every time. So if you're sick of having to stick by your partner, get specific, answer your own what ifs, Pay attention to the here and now rather than the imaginary future. And for heaven's sake, stop asking your anxiety if you're okay. With all that, you and whoever you rely on can go the way of light and dark laundry. Be separated and then happily reunite. Thank you so much for making the Savvy Psychologist a part of your life. Never miss a thing when you sign up for the newsletter at quickanddirtytips.com newsletters 
or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. You can also listen on Spotify, follow on Twitter at QDT Savvy Psych, or like on Facebook, where there are always links to episodes no longer available on iTunes. I'm Dr. Ellen Hendrickson, and the Savvy Psychologist is strictly for informational purposes and doesn't substitute for mental health care from a licensed professional. Have a wonderful week, and I will see you all next Friday for a happier, healthier mind. Are you tired of the constant battle with anxiety and panic? I've got a podcast that I think you'll love. It's called the Anxiety Coaches Podcast, where the host, Gina, gives you your weekly dose of tranquility and inspiration. Two new episodes drop weekly, packed with practical tips and lifestyle changes to help you calm that racing heart and bring peace back into your life. So if you're ready to bid farewell to sleepless nights and constant worry, tune into the Anxiety Coaches podcast and embark on a journey towards lasting calmness and a life free from anxiety's grip. Remember, it's not just a podcast, it's a lifeline. Join Gina on the Anxiety Coaches podcast and let her soothing words be the balm your nervous system needs. Listen in and start your path to healing today. The Anxiety Coaches Podcast.com because healing begins the first time you listen.